Hi, I'm Pastor Jim Melvin, and welcome to the Faith at Work Sermon Podcast, where each week we hear the good news of Christ for our lives. I hope that the time you spend here may be one source of comfort in difficult times. This message is intended for you no matter what your personal faith or religious tradition. It's for you if you're searching for meaning in your life. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Gracious and heavenly God, as you helped your disciples find meaning and hope in your death, resurrection, and ascension, be with us and guide us through these difficult days and help us to find hope in the mission you set before us. Grant life eternal to those who have died and comfort those who have suffered loss. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to commit a cardinal sin of biblical interpretation. I'm going to pick and choose from different biblical accounts of what happened after Jesus' resurrection, namely from Matthew and Acts, and I'm going to weave them into one story. I justify doing this not because I pretend this to be an accurate historical account of all the events that happened, but rather to paint a story which can help us understand the significance of these events. I've been careful to preserve the underlying truth of the most important story ever told. The story begins as the eleven remaining disciples, remember Judas had died at this point, follow instructions communicated to them that they were to rendezvous with Jesus in Galilee. Our reading begins. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember... I am with you always to the end of the age. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you to heaven, will come the same way as you saw him go to heaven. This is the gospel of our Lord. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Easter was over. Jesus had been raised from the dead. As instructed, his inner group of disciples went to Galilee, their old stomping grounds with Jesus, to meet him in a prearranged location on top of a mountain. This was a confusing time. People were reporting sightings of Jesus who had somehow been raised from the dead. Some who encountered him did not recognize him. Some believed and worshipped him. But even as they gathered on the mountain, the hearts of some were filled with doubt. Weeks had passed since Jesus celebrated his last Passover meal with his disciples, and now the Pentecost festival was approaching. Jesus kept his promise. He showed up on the mountaintop that day, He had a message for them, final instructions, really. He gave them a commission. He was going to leave them again, and they were to carry on his work after him. The instructions were straightforward. He said, Go, therefore, to all the peoples in the world and make disciples of them, 
Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything that I've taught you. And, by the way, I'll be with you in spirit. Then he is taken up into heaven and disappears into the clouds. Once again, the disciples are left scratching their heads. They're clueless. They're standing around looking up at the sky when they're approached by two men in white robes. Let's assume that they're angels. And they say, what are you looking at? Jesus is gone. The disciples might have added, gone again. And just when they thought he came back from the grave, he takes off, literally, again. What do they do now? Think, guys, think. What did he just tell you to do? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. After Easter, you and I may be standing around looking up the sky, scratching our heads, too. When I hear this story, I can't help but think back to the old Superman television series, the black and white one starring George Reeves, not the modern movie version played by Christopher Reeve, no S. A group of people stand out on the streets of Metropolis looking up as an overly dramatic voice announces, Look, up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane, no, it's Superman. Pardon me for being irreverent, but how clueless can we be? Jesus has left his earthly existence, and he has left us with a job to do. Stop looking up and look around. There's work to be done. One line in this story really struck a chord with me. Some worshipped him, but some doubted. Some people today really experience the reality of Jesus in their lives and worship him without question. These are people of faith. Yet others doubt and try to wrap their heads around what faith is all about and how Jesus can possibly make any difference in their lives and in the lives of the people suffering in the world. These are also people of faith. Jesus always left room for worshipers and doubters. There's room for worshipers and doubters among us. We keep each other honest. What's important is that we think about how the commission that Jesus left his disciples with on that mountaintop translates to us today. What is our mission? Our mission as 21st century Christians is the same as it was for those first century disciples. Let's walk through it. First of all, Jesus defines the limits of the mission. Well, there are no limits. He doesn't say, go to the Jews. He doesn't say, go to the Greeks or the Romans. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. The word nations is a little deceptive. In Greek, the word translated as nations is ethnos. You may recognize that as the origin of our word ethnic, as an ethnic group. Instead of nations or countries, Jesus sent them to disciple all peoples. This is a universal mission. It knows no boundaries, ethnic, national, religious, or whatever. We are sent to all people. The first task is to baptize people. The idea of using Christian baptism to convert everyone in the world today is a problem. 
Lutheran missionaries in the mission fields of New Guinea during and after World War II performed mass baptisms of indigenous people who had little or no understanding of what was being done to them. Northern European cultural practices didn't translate very well. Some Christian symbols had to be adapted to try to make them more relevant. One of my favorites in New Guinea was that Lamb of God became Pig of God, which, while well-intentioned, seems inappropriate in a lot of ways. I hardly think that that was what Jesus had in mind. Also, I visited a famous church in Cusco, Peru, up in the Andes. And over the altar is a picture of the Last Supper. Instead of a loaf of bread in front of Jesus, there's a plate with a roasted guinea pig, an iconic food in that area. Once again, a little strained attempt at cultural adaptation. A more appropriate and universal way for us to think about and practice baptism is to immerse people in Christ's love. That doesn't exclude the Christian rite of baptism with water among those who desire it for themselves or their children. The core of what we are to do, however, is to baptize into the love of God in Jesus Christ. Conversion is not about growing church numbers. It's about winning people's hearts and souls. Do you know anybody who needs to feel loved? I do. I see them all over. I'm one of them. In the midst of uncertainty that produces fear and anxiety, I want to be immersed in the warm waters of Christ's love. That kind of baptism never loses its meaning or importance. We can all be baptizers by loving the unloved. Then we come to the issue of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I've spoken those words a thousand times while performing baptisms, but they're more than just words. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit express the full reality of God's divine presence in our lives that can't be contained in the three-letter word God. God the Father is the creator of all that is, the almighty and powerful origin of everything. God the Son is the love incarnate who came into the life of the world to save us and bring us eternal life. God the Holy Spirit is that fire that burns in our hearts and souls. God who is close to us is our breath. As we go out on our mission, we have to know God in all of those ways. Now here is the heart of the mission. We are to teach people to obey everything that Jesus commanded. And I can think of two places where Jesus explicitly states his command. The first one is when he's asked which commandment is the greatest. He doesn't hesitate. He says, love your Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And by the way, that came out of Hebrew scripture. And then when telling his disciples that he would be leaving them, he says, A new commandment I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Our mission, then, is clearly about love. Love God. Love your neighbor. Love each other. 
Everything else, said an ancient rabbi, is commentary. It's secondary. Well, as we sometimes say in Wisconsin, there you be. We have our mission. Now we have to take it one step further. We have to figure out what shape our love will take. How do we not just talk about love? How do we act on our love? Let me describe how I see people around me obeying their marching orders. One of the most common expressions of love that I see being acted out is by people simply caring for one another. I personally know dozens of moms and dads who have all of a sudden become teachers. Forced to stay at home, we've all become aware of how important our school teachers are. Parents are now required to take on the role of formal educators as well as parents. And many of them have to do this while they're still working from home or out on the job. I take a lot of walks around the neighborhood. The other day, I saw a dad giving his two young daughters an art lesson. He was on his hands and knees on the sidewalk, helping them apply blue masking tape to the concrete to design a stained glass window that they were then filling in with colored chalk. I walked back the next day and found a beautiful mosaic as sacred as any window I've ever seen in a church. This dad took his mission seriously. He was simply loving his children. I bet you that his children were loving him back, too. They were all disciples. I have many friends who are business owners and managers. I see them enduring hour upon hour of Zoom meetings, trying to keep their businesses running. They're under tremendous pressure and feel horrible anxiety. Sure, they have a financial motivation. Much more than that, I see a loving motivation to provide their employees with some manner of financial security. They are also concerned that their businesses keep our economy moving so that all of us will continue to have our basic needs and maybe a few of our wants met. This is a way of loving your neighbor. And the same goes for the people who are out in the world or sitting at the kitchen table at home working. They too have their own interests and the interests of their families in mind. But also I see in them a real concern that they're doing their part to keep things running while we move toward recovery. We especially see that kind of sacrificial love in our healthcare workers and our first responders who are literally laying down their lives in ways that exceed all expectations. Their work is their love mission field. We could go on naming examples of many ways that people are continuing to express their love for one another. Most of these examples probably seem pretty unexceptional, pretty everyday. They are. But that's the beauty of it. Love is not the exception. It's the rule. The world is full of people, full of disciples living out Christ's commission of love, whether they know it or not. I should point out that in loving our neighbors and one another, we are at the same time loving God. In some ways, the two commandments, love your God and love your neighbor, are really one. I think we're missing the point, however, if we neglect to show our love in more direct ways to God. You know what that means? Observe a Sabbath and participate in worship. 
For the time being, it may be by watching a live stream on Facebook, attending a drive-in service in a parking lot of a church, or listening to a podcast sermon. It's all good. We also directly show our love of God through prayer. Lord's Prayer is a good place to start. Our prayers should include thanksgiving, petitions for those who are suffering, and asking for strength in carrying out our commission. And we must ask for forgiveness for when we fall short. And certainly we will. So let's get our heads out of the clouds and get to work. Oh, I should mention a hidden benefit in all of this loving. It will help us get through these difficult times. In a book written just before the current crisis began, author David Kessler wrote a book called Finding Meaning. He had worked with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross on some of her books that describe the five stages of grieving losses, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. She found those in dying people with whom she worked. His new book describes a sixth stage, finding meaning. All of us are experiencing losses that we need to grieve right now. Loss of jobs and financial security, loss of freedom of movement, loss of social interactions, and loss of loved ones. We are all likely to experience denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And we could each own all of these feelings and behaviors. They're ours. Seeing ourselves as living out Christ's commission, we can also find meaning. In loving, we will feel loved. And that will be enough until we are reunited with Christ beyond the clouds that, for the time being, hide heaven from our sight. Oh, I shouldn't forget the last thing that Jesus said. He said, I am with you always to the end of the age. Christ's Spirit is with us today, tomorrow, and forever. Amen. Thank you for joining me this week. I hope that you continue to find new meaning and new hope every day through the Easter message of resurrection and new life. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine upon you with grace and mercy. May the Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. And go in peace to love and serve the Lord and others in all that you say and do.